0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay, um, we, were, uh, we had our Converge camp and uh, we had a really just great community there and we, we spoke about community and how important community is. And uh, one of the things that we said was that the, the quality of your life is directly proportional to the quality of your community. Um, I always remind myself I have to explain these mathematical terms. Do you know what directly proportional means? <laughs> yeah, the quality, as, as the quality of your community increases, uh, the quality of your life increases in proportion to the quality of your community. So in other words, if you want a better life, get better community. Or if you want a better life. Um, grow in your community, let the quality of your community grow, and the, the quality of your life will grow and there we mean community in all its forms, family, of course, first and foremost, uh, work, church, friends, all kinds of different community we, we, the community plays such a vital, important role in our lives, and you know we we, we live in a we live in a generation that once all the benefits of community but none of the responsibilities we we live in a generation that wants all that wants the prize of community but not doesn't want to pay the price and i just want to remind us this evening that any investment we make in community is well worth it well worth it one of the easiest ways we can improve the quality of our lives by, by improving the quality of our community. But one of the easiest ways that we can improve one another's lives is by improving the quality of our community. You want to bless your friends? You want to bless your family? Then just invest in community and allow that community to grow. And, um, this evening I want to chat a little bit about community um, around John 13, that famous scripture where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And at the end, we're going to have communion. Uh, we get, we're going to have communion together. But um, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord that, that He'll really um, continue to impart to us just the importance of community and to inspire us to, to grow in our community uh, and um, to, make, to be willing to continuously grow in our commitment to community, which means our commitment to one another, to God and to one another. So... Let me um, read John th- from John 13. And just a few things I want you to notice. It, it, this passage reveals to us the ideal, God's ideal, Jesus' ideal for community. But then it also um, gets quite real about community, um, about what our actual experience of community is, is often like. And then it also tells us a little bit about how to bridge the gap between our, uh, the real and the ideal Um, put it, put it a different way. As I'm going to read the scripture now, notice that, that three people are mentioned explicitly by name, Jesus, Judas, and Peter, Jesus representing ideal community. Judas obviously representing (laughs) the reality of what communities often like. And then Peter representing, um, the ability to transition between those. So let's read, uh, John chapter 13 and says it was just before the Passover feast. Now that's important because, uh, John doesn't mention it for nothing. He's wanting to connect us to the Passover. And remember that the communion, which we're going to have at the end of the service, is um, based on the Passover. So um, what what we're talking about here is is highly related to, to communion. Sorry, I just want to make sure I have a time or something there. Okay, so... It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was, go- and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, "Lord, are are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, You have no part in me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I I always say, um, Paul intimidates me a bit, but Peter gives me hope. (laughs) If If God can use Peter, he can use me too. Jesus answered, a person who has been bathed, who has had a bath, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling, I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am here. Literally, it says that you will believe that I am. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me or receives me. And whoever accepts me or receives me, um, accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. So, just a few things from, from that scripture regarding community. Jesus shows us that ideal community is, happens when there's mutual self-sacrificing love. Okay, When there's mutual self-sacrificing love. And it's, I think it's very telling that Jesus portrays that love through the metaphor of foot washing. Okay? And I think that, that really does tell us a lot because in in our culture and in our, in our society there, there are lots of misconceptions about love, lots of serious misconceptions. most people get the idea about what love is from the soapies or from some other form of popular media or books or whatever, and um, yeah oh, well you 're not going to get the best information about what love really is uh, from there, but Jesus has a radically different view about what love is than um, than the world, uh, and that we, and then we we are, are exposed to. So, just a few things. If we just meditate on this metaphor of foot washing and what it says about what real love is, what Jesus style love is. Firstly, it tells us that love is action, not just attraction. Okay, love is action, not just attraction. You see, we live in a world where where we are told that love is attraction. Love is. Um, I like you, I'm attracted to you, you look beautiful, or you are smart, or you're funny, or whatever. But basically what it comes down to is, I'm attracted to you because of what you do for me. I'm attracted to you because of the way you make me feel. Okay, so let's get brutally honest here, you know, when a typical, you know, Let's call it worldly young man who is interested in a, in a young lady says to her, I love you. What he u- usually means is, I love me and I want you. I love me, so I want what's best for me. And I want you because you make me feel good, good about myself. You, you, you give me what I think I need. Okay? And that's the reality of the world we live in. You might think, okay, you're being really harsh there. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I think often it's 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 very true, you know. Um, even in love and friendship, we often have the opposite motive to self-sacrificing love. Um, so, but lo- you know, if love is foot washing, if, uh, if foot washing represents love, then then it's action, not just attraction. No- notice that when you 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 know wa- washing people's feet, you know feet on universally acknowledged as not the most attractive part of people's bodies. Okay? I'm sure, I'm sure if you do surveys, <laughs> I'm sure if you do surveys, you're going to get the, the results. You know, people, if you ask people in surveys, you know, what's the most unattractive part of the human body? Many people, probably most, will say feet. <laughs> you know? um, and, and the other thing is, I mean, m- most people's feet look very similar, you know? I mean, you look at someone's feet, you know, you can look at their face or their body and say, wow, you know, attractive face, handsome face, or, or attractive body, but feet, Eesh, you know. <laughs> and so when, when, Jesus, when Jesus presents love as foot washing, he's saying, don't look at people's faces or their bodies, at their, their attractive parts. Don't just love people that you find attractive. Don't just love people that do it for you. Don't just love people... That make you feel good about yourself. But love everyone. And love them by washing their feet. By getting involved in the most unattractive part of their life. You know, that part that, you know, after a long day's walking in shoes and socks is a bit smelly. You know, that part of their life. That, that's what love does. Okay? So, that's the first uh, thing about foot washing. Secondly, um, it tells us if... if, if Jesus represents love by foot washing. Then he tells us that love is humble, not proud. In order to wash feet, you have to get down on your knees to wash people's feet. You have to go down below them, beneath them. And, I mean, we don't even realize how spectacularly humbling this is. I mean, we don't understand why Peter has such a problem with it. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I mean, I'm sure the other disciples felt similar because it was unheard of. I mean, our feet are still relatively clean. Even after a day of wearing shoes and socks, you know, my feet might be a bit smelly, but they're not nearly as smelly as Peter's feet would have been. Because, you see, Peter wore sandals, okay? And he lived in Palestine, which is a desert climate. And he he walked wherever he went. So he walked through the dust. And it was hot, desert climate. He was sweating, okay? And in those days, they didn't have, like, the sophisticated underground sewage systems that we had. That that we have. So you know, it was quite common that when you went to a to a village or a town, you know, that you walked through the streets into which people threw their sewage, and then it rained, and it sort of just became part of the roadscape, you know. And you walked through that, you know. So you didn't just pick up dust, but you picked up like sewage, you know, (laughs) as you walked. And that's why it was necessary when someone came to visit you, came into your house, it was necessary to wash their feet. Not just for their sakes, but for, for the sakes of the other guests as well. Because feet in those days, I mean, you walk miles and miles to get to a place, you know, you sweat and you, your feet got really dirty and really stinky. Okay. So it was, it was really unpleasant. You know, you were washing sweaty, dusty, suriji feet when you washed feet. In fact, it was such a demeaning job that the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis said that Jewish slaves weren't allowed to wash feet. Only Gentile slaves were allowed to wash feet. That's how bad it was. Nowhere in ancient literature that I'm aware of does it ever mention any rabbi, any master, any mentor washing their disciples' feet. Nowhere except here. This is unique in ancient literature. Jesus is the only one. That's why the disciples were so shocked. That's why Peter was so shocked. That Jesus was willing to humble himself to this extent in order to serve them. But that's what self-sacrificing love does. It humbles itself to serve others. But it's worse than that. I mean, like I said, when Jesus said, I'm telling you these things beforehand, so that when they happen, you will know that. And literally in the Greek it says, I am. It doesn't say I am He. It says that you will know I am. What does that remind you of? Burning bush, right? Moses coming and taking off his shoes. <laughs> and um, God saying to him, uh, and he says to God, who, who shall I say send me? And he says, Tell the Israelites that I am Yahweh. <laughs> I am the one who is and the one who causes all else to be. I am the one sending you to them. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, Listen, you you, you don't fully realize that. You're starting to realize it it now. You don't maybe fully realize it yet. But you're going to realize fully at some stage that I am, I am. I am the same Yahweh that was speaking from the burning bush. In other words, here we have not just a, a rabbi or a master or a guru stooping down to wash his disciples' dirty feet. We have God himself getting on his knees. To wash his disciples feet. Now on the one hand that tells us a bit about us. It tells us that our feet are so dirty. Metaphorically speaking that God has to wash them. (laughs) We need God to clean them. But it also tells us a lot about God. That God is so humble and so loving. That he's willing to get down on his knees. And wash our dirty feet. But that's what self-sacrificing love does. In order to serve others. Can you see how Jesus is defining love here? Um, we, as Christians, we'll probably all say, yeah, we want to be servants. You know, we want to serve one another. But, but you really know whether you want to be a servant by how you respond when you get treated like a servant. Right? Because uh, let's be honest, sometimes when we get treated as servants, we're not quite so happy. You know, <laughs> we, we don't like it so much. We, get, we actually get quite offended. Uh, a pastor once told me a story of, of something he observed he was driving I think from Cape Town to Joburg and somewhere along the line in some other town along the N1 he he was sitting in his car and um, a, a car pulled up a flashy car you know with a music punk, and, a, and a you know a, a young white guy full of tattoos and his friends came out and they were clearly a bit you know um, moist you know <laughs> they've been drinking a bit okay And they were loud and brash and going on. And and, and he walked sort of, and and they'd probably been driving a bit rough on some other dirt road because the car was a bit dusty and dirty. And he he jumped out and there was an old black man standing with sort of gray beard and and gray hair. And he said, hey, you wash my car. I'll give you 20 bucks. And, you know, you ran off. And and this old man sort of checked him out. And he walked, you know, got a bucket and a sponge and started washing the guy's car. And the guy, the young guy went and, and bought some, Whatever he bought, you know, snacks or whatever, uh, and and when he when he um, when he came back, the old man had finished washing his car, uh, and, and and he said, yeah, you know, thanks. He pulled out his, his wallet and, and sort of held out a 20, 20 rand note to the old man, and the old man said, no, no thanks, you know, I don't I don't want your money, and he got into his Mercedes Benz and he drove off, <laughs> and um, this young sort of brash, foolish slightly drunk guy (laughs) you know thought he could order the old man around and it's amazing how that old man responded right when he got treated like a servant he didn't get offended he actually washed that young guy's car. I don't (laughs) think that young guy would ever forget it (laughs) but that guy displayed that old man displayed the the heart of Jesus the heart of service the heart of humble self-sacrificing love Um, but Another misconception that we have about love, that our modern times have about love, is that love is tolerance. Okay, If you agree with everything I say and tolerate everything I say, then you love me. But if you disagree with me and reject what I believe or how I behave, then you hate me. Okay, that, That's what many people in the modern world believe. And what Jesus is saying by equating love with foot washing is no. That's a very wrong definition of of love. A very wrong definition. Because remember, he's washing feet. In other words, when you wash someone's feet, you're saying, okay, your feet are dirty. They need to be cleansed. They need to be washed. So you're saying, not everything about you is okay. Not everything about you is alright. There's something wrong with you. Your feet are dirty. They're stinking. They need to be washed. In other words, love, true love, doesn't just tolerate. In fact, I want to go so far as to say that the more you love someone, the less you're going to tolerate dirt and sin and evil in their life. The less you love them, the more you're going to tolerate those things in their life. Okay? Just imagine you, you, you have a, a family member or you know, someone that you really love, a close family member who is addicted to drugs. If you really love them, you're going to hate those drugs and you're going to constantly confront them and try and get them, help them get rid of it. But you're going to say to them, every time I see you, you've been using and Every time I see you, you less of yourself. You can't go on like this. You've got to get rid of this. I'm not going to tolerate these drugs in your life. It's destroying your life. It's destroying you. Whereas the less you care about something. If you're pretty indifferent to someone, you're going to tolerate those drugs. Oh, pff, you know, I, pff, Who are they to me? you know, Let them use their drugs if they want to. So can you see that tolerance is actually not love? It's more often, it's mo- motivated more by indifference and love. But true love washes people's feet, saying, yes, there is something wrong, but let me help you fix it. Let me help you grow. Let me help you... Better. So it's cleansing. Um, love also is vulnerable. I mean, to, to get down on your knees, I mean, uh, makes you vulnerable. It's a position of vulnerability. But Jesus also took off his outer garment. He sort of partially disrobed and put a towel around his waist. That's making yourself very vulnerable. Okay. Well, the disciples also, to some extent, had made themselves vulnerable because you need to take off your shoes and sort of <laughs> offer your feet to be washed. So... Love, according to Jesus' definition, is vulnerability that invites vulnerability. It's vulnerability that invites vulnerability. Uh, And that's the kind of love um, that Jesus is holding before us here. If I had to sum it up, one of of my favorite definitions of love is by an Old Testament theologian called called Bruce Waltke. He says, uh, love is being willing to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage the community. Love is being willing to disadvantage yourself, self-sacrificing love, in order to advantage the community. Can you see why Jesus says that that kind of foot-washing, self-sacrificing love should be the driving force behind a community? What would our communities look like if that were consistently true of us? But then the Bible is also very real, and it presents us not only with a picture of Jesus, but with Judas. And sometimes we experience aspects of community that are more like Judas than like Jesus. Uh, And instead of self-sacrificing love, we allow ourselves to be motivated by self-satisfying lust, which is exactly the opposite. In other words, instead of having Jesus at the center of the community, like Judas, we have ourselves at the center of the community. Um, Now the problem with that, and there are many problems with that, I just want to mention a couple. Firstly, selfishness is a bottomless pit. All lust is like that. It cannot be satisfied. Selfishness is a bottomless pit. It will never be satisfied. It's insatiable. And if we are like that, or if we have people in our communities like that, no no matter how much love you give to them, they'll never be satisfied. They'll always feel unloved. They always say, oh, you know, no one loves me, you know. No one ever does anything for me, never ever has time for me. Meantime, everyone is trying to sort of connect with them and help them and so on. Oh, woe is me, poor me, you know. Why? Because selfishness is a bottomless pit. It's never satisfied. It's never satisfied. you know, do you recognize some of that maybe in your relationship with uh, maybe your spouse or with your friends? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't appreciate what the love that people close to me give because I'm actually being selfish. It's true. And I think all of us um, have a bit of that Judas in us that is not satisfied. Um, so, you know, it's insatiable. It it, it, it it is never satisfied. It cannot be satisfied. Selfish people always feel unloved, they, no matter how much people love them. Um... And Judas is a good example of this. Here's he a guy who had the best small group in the world. Okay, He had guys like Peter and John and Matthew and those guys in his small group, for crying out loud. Okay, He had the best, best teacher, the best small group facilitator in the world. He had Jesus himself as his teacher and pastor and small group facilitator. He, had, he was part of the greatest ministry in the world. I mean... Jesus gave him authority to drive our demons to heal the sick. You know, and when they came back, and said, you know, even the demons are subject to us, except to Judas. No, they didn't say that. The demons were subject to Judas as well. He took part in the ministry. And yet, there was a selfishness in his heart that remained there, that remained unchanged. And the center of his life never shifted from himself to Jesus. And yet, even though that was true of Judas, Jesus washed his feet too. It doesn't say that he, Jesus washed all the disciples' feet except Judas. He washed Judas' feet too. Jesus humbled himself before Judas and washed, washed Judas, Judas' feet. Another thing about selfishness, not only is the bottom pit, but uh, that's never satisfied. And, and, and like I said, we see this in Judas' life in the sense that even though he had this amazing small group, amazing part of this amazing ministry, Jesus as as the ultimate leader, he wasn't satisfied. And he ended up betraying Jesus for money. The other thing about selfishness is it always leads to offense. When we are selfish, we will always be offended. Because we'll always be like, you know, I deserve better. You know, why do they treat me like this? you know why why because you see selfishness and pride causes us to think that we are the main character in the movie and everyone else us everyone else is a supporting character and their role is to make me look good and sort of put the spotlight on me but now they're taking the shine you know And, and they're not doing their job because they're not making me feel good about myself and selfishness and pride does that when, when you have self-satisfying lust in, in, in your heart instead of self-sacrificing love, um, it always leads to offense. So, you know, I've got to ask myself, do I get offended often? Do I get offended at, at the way people treat me or don't treat me? Do I get offended... Um, with lots of different people, and I say, oh, you know, this one, you know, I thought they were all right, but now I see, you know, they're just like that, you know. Maybe there's selfishness in my heart. Maybe there's pride in my heart. Maybe it's not all the other people, you know, that are the problem. Maybe it's me that's the problem. Maybe that, that's why there's, there's always offense. But the worst is, selfishness will eventually cause you to betray like Judas betrayed And like I said, he did it for gain. He betrayed Jesus for money, 30 pieces of silver. In other words, selfishness will turn us into little consumers. And when Judas realized that the payoff of being part of Jesus' ministry was not going to be enough for him, he thought, okay, let let me go and cash it in somewhere else. Let me go and get some gain somewhere else. And I might say more about this at some other time, but I think... Probably the greatest danger for us in modern, sort of Western Christianity is consumer Christianity. I, was, I'm, I become a consumer Christian where going to church just becomes like going to the mall where I get spiritual products. and I'm looking for the best, shopping around for the best spiritual products. Where um, having people in my life and spiritual relationships in my life, it's all just consumables. It's all just to make my life better. It's all just accessories to make me feel better. And that's one of the biggest challenges. Because we are, by nature, little consumers, as fallen human beings. But worse than that, our culture drives us to be consumers. Because the whole economy is consumer-driven. All advertising is designed to wake up, awaken that consumer mentality in our hearts. And it's so easy for us to bring it into our Christianity as well. And very dangerous as we see um, in Judas's life. So, whereas love is being willing to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage the community, selfishness is being willing to uh, to disadvantage the community in order to advantage yourself. So how do we bridge the gap? Like I said, if Jesus represents the ideal and Judas the, the real or the, the, the wrong pole, then Peter represents sort of a transition between the two. He starts off pretty much like Judas, not All that much better. He's initially sort of very um, hesitant and unwilling to make himself vulnerable and to allow Jesus to wash his feet. And much like Judas, he actually betrays Jesus also for his own benefit. He denies Jesus when it suits him. The big difference between the two of them, between Judas and Peter, is that Peter actually repents. Not that he's inherently better than Judas, but that he repents. He he admits, he says, Lord, okay, fine, you know, you, uh, you know I, I'm wrong, you know, wash not just my feet, my head and my hands too, you know, cleanse me, Lord. Um, Jesus says to Peter, you don't yet understand, you don't yet realize what I'm doing. And, and Jesus asks this question, do you understand, after he washed their feet and after he sat down again, he asked him this question, do you understand what I've done for you? And I think, at least to some extent, most of us will have to answer, no, Lord, not really. Because to the extent that we understand what Jesus has done for us, we will do it for others. To the extent we understand how Jesus has washed our feet, we will do it for one another. And if we really understood it, our lives would look different, our communities would look different. I mean, obviously, to some extent, we do understand it. Because I think we we do have a healthy community. But I do think we can grow in it. Whether it's in our families, husband and wives, Parents and children washing one another's feet, or whether it's in our um, in our small groups, or wherever, in our friendships, in our workplace. So, um, foot washing year, Jesus says to Peter, "You'll understand later." And I was, you'll understand after the cross, which means that the foot washing points to the cross, and it's a physical expression of Jesus' love that is, that is only ultimately fulfilled in the cross. And whereas Jesus humbled himself to wash his disciples' feet, he had to humble himself even more to die for his disciples on the cross. It was the most shameful way to die. Okay. Where he partially disrobed himself and took, out his, took off his outer garment and you know, put on a, a towel around his waist to wash his disciples' feet, he fully disrobed himself. And hung naked on the cross in public. How's that for vulnerability? And where it says that he showed love to his disciples. The ultimate, the full extent, like the text says, of that love was only really portrayed in the cross. Jesus loved us, his disciples, so much that he was willing to die for us. And that's what the foot washing ultimately points to. Now, the, the problem with us as, as humans is, you know, we want to give this self-sacrificing love to one another. But the reality is because we are so needy, because we are dependent, we, we, we need other people to think well of us. We need other people to serve us. We need other people to give certain things to us. We can't go without it. Now it 's our love, even at its very best, because we are human and needy, is, is more a form of is, well is as much a form of hunger as it is a form of true love. But there was only one who could really be selfless, where we, where we had, didn't have the capability to do it. Jesus did it. He was truly selfless and um, He gave himself in our place. And uh, here's the thing, and and I want us to get the elements of the communion ready so long uh, to be handed out. Peter was essentially, fundamentally, no better than Judas, except that Peter received Jesus, whereas Judas Never did. See, there's a scary scripture in the beginning of the text that I read where it says that Satan had already placed in Judas' heart. And in Luke it says, Satan entered Judas. And you're going to receive some other spiritual influence inside of yourself. You are going to be spiritually influenced. The only choice you have is by whom? Are you going to be spiritually influenced by receiving Jesus' thoughts towards other people? Or are you going to be spiritually influenced by receiving the devil's thoughts towards other people? Are you going to be spiritually influenced by receiving Jesus himself? Or are you going to be spiritually influenced by receiving the devil? Or one of his influences? Because only Jesus is capable of loving the way that we need, the kind of, with the kind of love that we need in our communities, the kind of self-sacrificing love. And only to the extent that we receive him... Are we able to love in that way? So what we need to do is receive Jesus. He said to those who receive him. Whoever receives, um, receives the one I sent; receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. I just want to read you another scripture in John 1. I think it is up on the screen. John 1, verse 11 and 12. It says, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it says, Jesus, having loved his own, same word used here, love his own, who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. And then at the end of the passage, he said, To those, he talks about those who receive him. In other words, we must receive Jesus. He's. After Jesus sits sits down, He says, If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet. But before we can wash one another's feet, we must allow Jesus to wash our feet. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.